So open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 6. We're moving on uh, this morning into another one of these amazing and crazy passages uh, where Jesus is saying some stuff where it's, it's like people are asking the question, what did He just say? <laughs> like, is, does He really mean what He's saying when He says these things? Well, He's saying another one this week. And so I want to read the passage for you first, as is our pattern. I'll read uh, through the whole passage, then I'll pray one more time, and then we'll dive into today's Word. Beginning in verse 37 of chapter 6, read with me, Jesus speaking, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? When your Brother, wait, 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 I lost it. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. I think I might have a log in my eye this morning. Pray with me, would you? Father, once again, we are grateful to be here today. We are so grateful, Father, to be able to hear Your Word, to, to sit under Your Word, all of us, myself especially. So I just pray today, Holy Spirit, I pray uh, in my tired, weak state, Lord, I pray that You would give me strength, Holy Spirit, that You would be the strength in this Word today, that You would encourage us as a body, that You would teach us so that we can be the kind of men and women that Jesus is inviting to be part of His kingdom cause in this community today. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So again, we're in one of those texts, right, uh, in uh, Luke's gospel, but it, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's one of those texts that really uh, the Sermon on the Mount itself is probably the most famous sermon ever preached. Um, more sermons, as I said last week, have been preached on this sermon than any other sermon in history, but it's also the most quoted sermon. Um, it really, if you, if you just go online and you go through history, you're going to see that throughout all of history, whether it's historians, philosophers, uh, world leaders, politicians especially, uh, Gandhi, of course, he built his whole philosophy of nonviolence on Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, didn't believe in Jesus, but thought what he had to say was great. People quote this sermon all the time, various places, especially today's passage. It's interesting how often it gets quoted. And despite all that fact, as we learned again last week, despite people quoting it, very few people do what Jesus says. That's remarkable. It's sad, really, and that's including Christians. They love what He said. They really love what He said, which is why they quote it. And of course, they want to be seen to be loving and doing what He said. That's why they're quoting it. But people very rarely live up to it, and especially things like we read last week when he said, love your enemies. I mean, people can preach that. People can say that. I can say that. I can exhort you like we did last week to do that. The question is, do you? Do I? <laughs> really? 
How often do we try to fudge out of that, right? Like, like they did with love your neighbor. The Jewish people in the day would say to Jesus, well, who really is my, my neighbor? I mean, really? I mean, I mean, are you really talking about the person next door to me, the person behind me who, you know, whatever, the, the various people that I have confrontations with about property lines and fences and all, you want me to love that person? Really? I mean, isn't my neighbor just the kind of people I run into on the street and, you know, I just should be smiley and nice and kind? No, maybe Jesus was serious that you are to love your neighbor, and he was very serious that we're to love our enemies as his kingdom people. But how do you do that? Well, again, as we learned last week, only through the Holy Spirit and the power that he gives to us. Now, one thing that I need to remind us of as we go into today's passage, you've got to remember this. The Sermon on the Mount begins with Jesus coming down from the mountain, just having selected his 12 apostles, and, and he's down to a little level place. So they, some people call this the Sermon on the Plain. It is really the Sermon on the Mount, but he's come down to a more level place. And right in front of him, probably front and center, are the apostles. But this sermon is directed specifically at his disciples, not at the crowd. Now, the crowd's there. Probably over a thousand people are there. And as he keeps talking and saying some of these things, I'm thinking the crowd thinned out. (laughs) And in fact, it does often throughout the gospel, as you'll see. And Jesus was fine with that because he was preaching the truth and not everybody's up for the truth. And so again, we need to see these words today as last week's as specifically for you and me if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ. These, these instructions are for us. I mean, verse 40 that I just read, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. So there's clear evidence that he's speaking to his disciples. And it's an important distinction I would suggest for two reasons. First, for those who, of you who are not Christian yet here today or people who are watching online, um, you, you might get the idea or think that this is really good moral teachings. I, I really want to listen to this. Other people have listened to it. I mean, Gandhi, you know, he listened to it. I, there's probably some good here. I could get some good from this, and I could apply it to my life, and it would, would help me be a better person and achieve the goals in my life that I want to get to. Yes and no. No, because ultimately you would be lacking the most important component, the Holy Spirit. It can't be done by any human being. Christians try to do it, and we fail too, and yet we have the Holy Spirit. So secondly, really, this message here today is very much for you, the Christian, the true disciple who's trying to follow Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your soul, loving Him that way at least, but also trying to, tr- to follow Him. It's for you. This is one of those character traits that Jesus wants you and I to possess so that we can people, be people who are literally about His kingdom cause. I love that song we sang today. It's about His church, His mission, not mine, not yours, His that we're about. And so we need this. So the question for you then today is this, are you listening to Him? I'm speaking specifically of the Holy Spirit, whom you have, who is in you, who dwells with you, who gives you, as He gave Jesus, the power to do these things. Are you listening and depending on Him as your helper today? If not, these words of Jesus are impossible to keep, right? So, I, I said earlier at the beginning that this is one of the most famous sermons, like the whole Sermon on the Mount, and it's quoted by more people in the world than, than any other sermon 
or of any other religious leader, these words that Jesus first starts with in this text today are probably the most quoted at Christians often, but the most quoted from the whole sermon. I'm going to put them on screen. And I want you just to look at them. I want you to read them. I want you to hear them as I say them. And then I just want you to meditate for a second on these words. Jesus said, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Again, how wonderful would it have been to be on that hillside that day? To see him physically, to hear these words coming out of his mouth, to see the expression on his face? Judge not, and you will not be judged. I think, I don't want to twist this too much as we're going to see as it unfolds, I think we could literally hear him saying these words, if you judge, you will be judged. This is an extreme statement, isn't it? As you let it just settle, it's a very extreme statement. This very challenging command directly follows, I think, what we saw last week again. We learned that Jesus was turning everything upside down or actually everything right side up. It's you and I that have turned everything upside down. That's what he came to do. We read last week that Jesus said, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Remember that? That's what he said. He had these, you've heard what it said, and then he said these, but I say to you. And so he quoted not the Old Testament fully, just partially, but he quoted what they had said. And they had been taught this. They learned this. They practiced this, especially the last part. Love your neighbor. Yeah, okay, we got that. Yeah, no problem. Look, we're Jewish. We love our neighbors. We love our family. We're really good. We're all with that. But you know what? Those people who are our enemies, we're even better at hating them. Lord, punish the Philistines. <laughs> Come on. Like, bring down fire. They were all about that. That's where they're at. But then Jesus says to them, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now, why did he say that? Because the hate your enemies part was not in the Bible. It was never a command of God. They added it. Now, hear me when I say this. That's what religion does. Amen? That's not Christianity. That's not the way of Jesus. That's what religion does. It takes something good that God has given to us, and it says, well, that's probably a little too extreme. I mean, who can keep that? So let's be realistic here. Who really is my enemy? I don't really have enemies. <laughs> you know? Okay. I would suggest you do, as we saw last week. As we open our text today, I, I want you to see this. You can see the natural, or shall I say unnatural way, this follows from Love Everyone Always. That was our title for last week, and our message title for this week is Love Everyone Always Part 2. It's not that I, I wasn't being creative, but okay, I wasn't. But it really is a follow-on to that. So it's Love Your Enemies Part 2. I mean, the reality is this, how can you or I as a Christian, now hear this, be loving when we're judging people all the time? When someone's judging you, right, and you're feeling judged and, and being criticized, it's kind of same thing. Do you feel the love? I don't know what you, but people say, well, yeah, but it's just constructive criticism. No, it's not. Okay, sometimes it feels like judgment, doesn't it? It doesn't feel good. But, so how can we be seen that way? 
Well, it's, it's unnatural, really, to be loving when we feel like the best thing to do is to judge, to be critical. It's very unnatural, but it shouldn't be that way. It's actually the way God intended it, right, when we were created in the image of God before we distorted it. We, through sin, distorted God's image and God's desire for us. And so listen, this might sound harsh, but isn't Jesus really saying here, like He said before in the Sermon on the Mount that we saw last week in Matthew, that to be angry at your brother, so angry at your brother or sister that you're cursing them, that you're yelling at them, that you're you know, really mad at them is, is no different than murder in God's economy, in God's eyes. Is it not the same? Is He not saying the same thing here today to us, that judging others is equal to actually hating them? Well, let me give you a couple, a little illustration on this or a little thought on this. I mean, I think naturally what you and I want to do is we want to push back when people confront us, don't we? I mean, come on. Is it, is it just me? Like, I, I don't know. When people confront me and I, I feel there's criticism coming or I feel there's some kind of judgment that I don't think is fair is coming, I, I, like, I, I'm, uh-huh, I'm, I'm a good listener to a point, right? And then I just want to push back. It's natural, I think, for us to do that. I'm going to put it to this way. I think we're born that way. <laughs> I remember when I was very, very young, I think I was about five years of age, and uh, there was Donna Hickey. Um, that was her last name, I'm just saying. She lived across the street over here, and, and Kathy Mandrake, I think, over here. And, and I was sitting on the front porch of our house, and I was, I was calling them names. I was yelling at them, and I'm five years old. Like, I know I was a terrible child. But at the moment that I'm doing this, all of a sudden, I, there's this whack on the back of my head, right? And it was my mother. And I turn around, she goes, don't you call people names. And I'm like, well, I mean, so the question is, why was I doing that? Well, I was doing that because they were calling me names. My natural tendency was to call them names, right? And they were nice names. I can't remember what the words were, what I was saying, whatever it was. But hey, how many of you remember this saying? Because I heard this a lot in, in the schoolyard. You remember, remember this saying here? This one I heard, I know you are, but what am I? Remember that one? Five years old. We're terrible. We're not born innocent, lovely, you know, in circumstance. No. It's natural. It comes from our very nature, actually, isn't it? And doesn't it? Because of sin and without the power of the Holy Spirit giving us the new hearts, the hearts of flesh and not of stone that we need to be born again, let alone to live this Christian life, we're unable to turn from our old nature unless we have that. Unable to turn from this old nature. So we need to understand this a little bit today. So let me, let me put it to you this way. As a Christian, basically the problem you and I have is we have two competing natures inside of us, don't we? We do, each one of us, male and female. We have this nature in us that's battling as a Christian. We have the old nature which is prone to sin. Actually, it knows nothing else. Thoughts, deeds, acts, that's our old nature. And then we have this new nature which is designed to resist sinning, at least in this life, right? There's a constant battle, however, going on constant battle. You know that. Jesus is all He's trying to do with His disciples at this point is say, can we be honest here? I want to speak to your heart. So, can we be honest here? Now, for the most part, of course, the unbeliever has no such competition going on with them or within them. 
It's not being critical here, but that's the reality. The only thing they know is the old nature. They, that's all they know. They don't even, to a certain extent, know, unless they're hearing a message like this, that there is a new nature. And frankly, most of them are like, well, I don't know. I may have you know, a few faults, no more than anybody else. And so listen, as far as I'm concerned, what are you doing, judging me? <laughs> you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. So they don't understand that. You as a Christian should. I don't know how many people I've counseled over the years. We're having a talk, and, and, and there's this issue that a guy's dealing with or couples are dealing with. And, and you, you get to a point where everybody, as a Christian, you would hope, but it does happen most of the time where they're like, yeah, I know. I know I need to stop doing that. That's the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's conviction. That's the knowledge of the old nature and the new nature. And so surely people who don't have the new nature, sure, they can do good works. There are a lot of non-Christians, a lot of people who are unbelievers who can do good works, but the reality and truth is the motivation will always be, and often, sadly, the result, tainted by the old nature, by sin. The believer, on the other hand, has a capacity that they don't have. You have a capacity as a disciple, a believer of Jesus Christ, and that is a capacity for godliness, not better than anybody else, but godliness which is, again, leading us towards being people who can fulfill the kingdom cause. And that's what God's work in us is all about. You still have the capacity for sin as well, but now you have, listen, the ability to resist through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also the desire. You see, that's what happened. You look at the book of James, and he talks about temptation, and he says, resist the devil. You know what happens when you do that? You start resisting one time, and then two times, and then three, five, ten, twelve, and all of a sudden, you have the desire for holiness and righteousness and purity, and all of a sudden, it's past you. That particular sin, that particular battle is behind you, and that's what we need to do. So Jesus is calling, I believe, His disciples here to rely, rely on their new nature, and not their old when it comes to judging others. But there's the battle there, isn't there? Now, most of you know me, or those of you who do know me, <clears throat> you know that I like a good theological battle when I, when I can get into one, right? I, I really do. I, I just, I love theology. I love doctrine, sound doctrine, you know. And, and I, you know, I, I can get on Facebook, and I can get into forums, and I can get into a discussion in, in you know, public realms. And, you know, you know, for me, it's a little bit like sometimes it's like, you know, listen, I, I'm, I'm willing to listen to your point of view, but when you're wrong, you're wrong, <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of God's instrument to set you straight, and because it's important, right, that we get these things right, and you know, what can happen is, is that it gets to the point where I'm listening, yes, but assumptions are coming into my mind, judgments about what book they've read, what author they've read, they must be Looney Tunes, whatever it must be, and so I'm... I'm it's no longer a conversation about learning. It's a debate about who's right, who's wrong. It's judging. That's my confession for today. <laughs> and this is how most of us, I think, are naturally wired. And Jesus comes along and he says this, not in my family, guys, not in my kingdom, this is not how I want you to behave toward each other. And why? Well, besides the fact it's not good for you and everyone else you deal with, 
The problem is, is that if you act that way, which is the way the people in the world are acting, people are just going to model your behavior. What's different about you? On the other hand, if you're accepting, forgiving, and giving, and you're loving and non-judgmental, who might model that? Who might want to model that? So I think this flows right out of last week's message, doesn't it? Love your enemies. <laughs> Love everyone always. I remember these, these aren't people that you outright hate necessarily who you judge, but they are people you just don't like as much as others, <laughs> right? That's the kind of people we're talking about. After all, they're people who you believe don't really like you, who are judging you. And again, the natural tendency is to bite back. They say bad things about you behind your back, sometimes to your face, and sometimes they're even abusive towards you. And so how did Jesus tell us last week that we are to handle this kind of situation and these kind of people? He told us three things, very simple things. Do good. Do the opposite of what they're doing. Do good. Bless them. Go above and beyond. And then pray for them and for yourself. That's the key that He gave to, it, to us. So what do we do with people we don't like? What, let's, let's be honest here, right? What do we do with people we don't? really like that much. Well, our natural response, I think, is to do unto them what they've done unto us. <laughs> That's a real distortion of the golden rule, isn't it? But that I feel, in general, not all the time. I know some of you, as I said last week, are meek, mild, really kind, loving. You would never do unto others as they've done unto you if it's been bad. But for the few of you here today, I'm preaching this boldly. Okay? I think all of us need to hear it, right? All the nasty and terrible things that we do to them in response can be summed up to, by this, by this, judging. That's what we do. We criticize everything about them. I don't want to get into the specifics about how women judge other women differently than how men judge. Ladies, I'll leave that with you, right? Like what she's wearing. Yes, it's very pretty, but I still hate her. You know, I mean, like, okay, that, but just think about it, okay? This is, there's a point in this message that you, I think the Holy Spirit is going to really come to you and say, this is for you, by the way. Just think about it. You know, we, we, we judge the way they look, how they dress, what they eat, uh, how they do the job, how they raise their kids. Oh, yes, I think so. We, we find one area of weakness or the one that really annoys us the most about them, and that's what we go after with our judgment with our judgment. Highlighted it last week, and I have to do it again this week. I mean, I pointed to social media and the online world last week, and the same applies. I read some, oh my goodness, some uh, political commentaries this week. Um, uh, it doesn't matter what the subject is. I mean, even the Humboldt tragedy a few, um, about a month or so ago, like people like in there and the judging this and judging that, and it, it, the, the, the vitriol is unbelievable. I mean, the target's are virtually everything and everyone, right? And politicians, of course, are fair game, apparently. Why is that? Because they signed up for this. Really? Like you read the comments and it's almost sounding like this. These people are idiots. They don't know what they're doing. If they would just listen to me, <laughs> cycling in Vancouver would be perfect. <laughs> like, it's, it's nonstop. Nonstop. So here's the point that I think is really important for you and I to get to today. And it really struck me as I was preparing and praying about this this week and looking at my own situation. Uh, I was reminded of the other sermon that Jesus preached, right, in this gospel. That was an amazing sermon. 
Remember the one that he's preached in his home church, right, in, in Nazareth, where at first they loved him and then later they wanted to kill him? Remember that one? These are the words that he used in that sermon. He said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Hmm. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And of course, you heard me highlight it there. The key words in that, that for today's message and today's passage are recovering of sight to the blind. And now, yes, of course, Jesus literally physically healed people who were blind in that day. Could not see through the eyes that they were born with or were blind from birth. He literally physically touched them, rubbed mud in one case. He, he spit on and he healed them physically. But he wasn't talking just about that, was he? No, Jesus wasn't. He came to open up all of our eyes to all of our blind spots. Now, hear me today. This is really important. If you want the Holy Spirit to help you and, and make you a more loving person, which is really good for you and for your heart, let alone for everybody who knows you in your life today, knows me in our lives today, we, we need to be the kind of people who don't say, look, I don't really have any enemies. If you're saying that today, you have a blind spot. If you're saying, I, I'm not really judgmental, I just offer objective criticism, you know, when asked. You have a blind spot if you even think that way, okay? I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to pick up on that today. Judging others is a huge blind spot in our lives, especially as the church and as Christians. Of course, there's an amazing example of that in the Old Testament, right? You all know the story of David and Bathsheba, and, I mean, the young woman, he sees, he wants her, he commits adultery with her, and then he has her husband, Uriah the Hittite, murdered, killed to cover up his great sin. And then Nathan the prophet, sent by God, comes to him, and Nathan tells him this, this interesting story about a man who had this sheep that he loved, right? And, and a very rich man took the sheep, killed it, and fed his own house guests with that sheep. Nathan tells this to, to, da to David, and David's like, this is what he said. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, as surely as the Lord lives, the, this is David, he's incensed, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're that guy. <laughs> you're that man. You're that man, David. I mean, D David, who had committed adultery and murder, <laughs> not killing a little baby lamb, was incensed and held that man to a higher level of guilt than himself. And that's often the way it is, naturally, with some of us, with many people in our world today. World today. It's, it's funny, it's not funny, it's sad, really, how people who are greedy... <laughs> Right? are critical and judgmental of greedy people. <laughs> liars judge other liars. I don't know how many times in the past, thankfully it hasn't been much lately, where there were some preachers, right, televangelists on TV, going off about, you know, pornography, going off about homosexuality, going off about adultery, and six months, a year later, they're doing it. 
Hypocrites. Blind spots. That's what judgmental attitudes can lead to, especially if we ignore those blind spots. And then Jesus shows us what our judging of others actually amounts to by saying this. He says, he adds to judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. So I wonder, do you see what he's doing by adding these words? Right? This is the result of our judgmental attitudes towards other people. I mean, the reality is, is that we want them found guilty, don't, don't we? We want people to see them or the situation in the way that we do. So we want them guilty, judged, condemned. Right? We need to stop for a second and recognize that that's not our job. Amen? Amen? That's God's job. And sometimes it really riles some of us, doesn't it? That He doesn't seem to step in and judge when we think He should or condemn when we think He should. Well, friends, He will. He will, and He does. But we also have to remember this, and again, these are the words of Jesus, very famous words. You all know them, probably the most quoted verse in the whole Bible from John chapter 3. And verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So we all know this verse. We know it's the gospel contained in this verse that despite the fact that we are sinners and we are rebels and, and, and we hate God, he, he loves us so much that He sends His Son into this world to die so that we will not perish but we will have eternal life. Most people forget the next verse. Verse 17, Jesus, again speaking, said this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Well, if He didn't come into the world to condemn all the sinners on the planet, what are we doing that for? He didn't come for that. The Holy Spirit convicts, regenerates, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So we, the disciples of Jesus, come on, we should be the ones who, who never, ever display judgmental attitudes, but the beautiful attitudes, right, of the kingdom to people. Meekness, mercy, being peacemakers, loving them, accepting them, forgiving them, giving, doing good, right, blessing. Wow, can you imagine again, I said this last week in closing, can you imagine what kind of an impact 60, 70, 80 of us, adults in Squamish, could have in this community if that is really the way we lived, really, all of us, daily? I, 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 that's my hope for us as a church. I, 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 think, I think we're getting there. I think there's a will. I think there's a desire. So let's keep working on it. I mean, remember this, my friends. We are those who know that although we deserve the ultimate judgment, we're the ones who should know this, that we deserve this ultimate judgment. But instead of God judging us, condemning us, He put it all on Christ. Put all of everything that we deserved on Jesus, who deserved none of it, so that, so that we could be forgiven, made sons and daughters of the King, and so that we could go making disciples by loving everyone always. That's why Jesus, I believe, goes on with these words. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. 
don't know if you noticed this, like I, I mean, this, this passage, for some reason, there's a lot of 37A, 38B, whatever. And, and because I, I, I'm wondering as I was writing these things up and having to put them up on screen for you, like, like the sentence ends, there's a period there at the end of you. Why would they? I, so you know in the original translations that these headings, chapters, verse numbers, they're not there, right? They've been added. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but I'm just trying to maybe highlight that for you. One of the things I love here is, again, when you highlight them and pull them out, now this is Jesus again. It's not Luke being, you know, gra- grammatically really creative. This is Jesus using this. But look at the way he lines these things up. He says this basically. It's judge, judged, right? Condemn, condemned. Forgive, forgiven. Give, given. Now imagine just for a second, and I was just thinking this this morning in devotion, and as I was rereading my notes, you know, <laughs> flip them around, Christian. We, we've been judged for our sins, but we've been forgiven, so don't judge. We were condemned, but again, we've been forgiven, so don't condemn. Instead, you're forgiven, forgive. Oh, that's a hard one. And you've been given much, everything. Give. It's beautiful the way that Jesus puts it out to us. He basically says that you counter the natural tendency to judge and condemn, and it's very simple how you do it. You offer unnatural forgiveness and generosity. You forgive and you give. Again, the words of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you remember the prayer that he gave to us, to his disciples, that we should pray every day? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Give us this day our daily bread. That's why I call it a daily prayer. That was what it was intended for. And then he, then he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. That's a daily prayer. But it starts with, Forgive us (laughs) every day coming to the throne of grace and realize. And so if you combine all the things, and I've said this already so far in this message, if you combine all that we've learned so far, we should conclude that Jesus really wants three things from us for everyone that we encounter. Acceptance, forgiveness, and a giving heart and a giving spirit. And then these words that he follows up with are beautiful. He says, and, and here's, here's, here's what's coming back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. If you do what? If you forgive and if you give. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. It's beautiful use of language. It's, it's taken directly from their agrarian culture, right? It was the way things were measured out in that day. And the idea is it's, it's, it's being pressed down into the measure or a jar so that it will hold as much as possible. Next, it, it's shaken so that it can settle down and get more in and you can pack more in. And then it's filled to overflowing, like you're not chintzing here, right? It's being overflowing. And then when you pass the goods to someone, it's overflowing so much, it's spilling out into their lap. This is the way God wants to reward us, to bless us for being people like this, to being loving and giving people. I saw in one commentary a quote about a found, the founder of Quaker Oats. Uh, you probably don't remember this man. His name was H.P. Crowell. He once said this. He became, of course, a billionaire even in the day. He said, for over 40 years, I've given 60 to 70 percent of my income to God. 
Now, he wasn't bragging by saying that because he went on and said, but I have never gotten ahead of him. <laughs> he has always been ahead of me. Now, I know some of you uh, don't struggle with giving, and those of you who don't struggle with giving, you have seen God repeatedly keep giving more. Now, it's not a prosperity gospel thing. Please be careful with this. But this is how he operates. He does. And so the truth of the matter is, is that Christians may or may not give, but actually true disciples, people who are forgiving and know much they've been given, do give. They do give. So now Jesus finishes with three brief but powerful illustrations. Again, the greatest preacher of all time. He, he lays out the teaching, the, the, the difficult part, and then he, he provides illustration. So it's really simple to preach this. I don't have to add a lot. It, it's just here, here's the illustration. And the first one, of course, is he says in verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Well, I hope by what we've heard so far in the message, you're like, yeah, this makes such perfect sense. If you're blind, which is what all of us were and sometimes still are, again, hear me on this. You're not much good for the kingdom cause right now. If you're still blind, you're not much good to the kingdom cause. You're not much good to say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm trying to be a really good disciple of Jesus. Why don't you follow me? If you're still spiritually blind because there's a big, as he's going to say, a log in your eye, you've got to deal with that. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can do that for you. He is the one who will illuminate you and, and give you true sight, which is true insight. And disciples who have great insight make great disciples. And that's what we need. We certainly need that. So then he goes on and says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And of course, that's the goal. The goal is to be Christ-like, isn't it? The, the goal is to be like Jesus. But again, we know even from this verse, but also in reality, none of us will ever be like Him. But the beauty of that is, what is this telling us? Is that we continually can go to Him because He has even more, right? He has even more of what we can't even attain in this life. One day, we will see Him and we will be like Him. Can you imagine that? Oh, man, what a day that's going to that's be, really. Verse 41 says, why do you... Now, Jesus, again, he's looking at his disciples. Guy, you think I can be harsh sometimes, right? He's looking right at you and he goes, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log, the beam that is in your own eye? I mean, he could have put it a little bit differently, couldn't he? And I think this would be fair to put it this way. How can you even see the speck that is in your brother or sister's eye when you're blind? in your own eyes because of the log in your eye. So first he's speaking about what you apparently see in your brother's or sister's eye, right? And then he concludes with this. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me help you with that speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Come on, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. I mean, your brother or your sister knows that. You're a hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So this would again be the blind leading the blind, right? It just follows on from that first illustration that he gives us. So clearly what, what Jesus wants is he wants his disciples 
and what He wants us to do. He does want us to disciple our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we make disciples. He does want us to be capable of being able to go up to our brother or sister and say, don't worry about it. It's not a log. It's just a little speck, but I can help you with that. Can I pray for you? You know, what are you battling? Can we work on this? That's what He wants. You cannot do that. I cannot do that. We cannot do that if we still have beams in our own eyes. In conclusion, I'm hoping we can agree on this today, at least this. Jesus really did mean love your neighbors. Love everyone always, which includes your enemies. And if that's true, then we must conclude that this about the character of a true disciple of Jesus, we must be accepting, forgiving, and giving. Now, it's important we understand the, the difference between the word accepting and approving, right? There's a big difference there between those two words. We should be able to walk out in the streets and every sinner, of which we are, Every sinner should be someone who we can say, I fully accept you. Jesus fully accepts you, loves you, wants you to be part of His kingdom. But the reality is there are going to be some things that are going to say, well, yeah, but will He accept this about me? At that point, it's like, well, He, not I, may not approve of that. That's probably when, as a Christian, you're going to hear them go, judge not. <laughs> People like to give that one back to us, don't they? So what do you do at that point with someone who, who comes back to you with that? Well, maybe we pray. Maybe we pray. Later in the same chapter, and I need to make this point as well as we close this morning, um, Jesus tells the disciples actually to judge someone is a Christian by their fruits. He instructs us to say, you should, you should judge. You should. And, and for that, re the reason is, is that, well, it, it depends on how you disciple them, right? If they're not yet at the cross and fully born again and saved, then, then the way you disciple them is different than the way that you, maybe you discipline a Christian brother or sister who is in sin. But you, you should know them. You should judge their fruitiness. He actually tells us. The Apostle Paul, later writing to the Corinthian church, tells us that he says this, or do you not know that the saints, Christians, the church, will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Okay, so what he's getting at here is, first of all, future, time, you know, end times, and he's, this is what is going to happen. The Christians, the church, are going to judge the world. Whew. We're going to be called upon to judge the world. But he's also talking about discipline in the church at this point. He's going, these, these are trivial in comparison to final judgment of the world. So get to judging sin in the church, guys. That's his whole point there. That's his point. And then, of course, the more important thing about that is, is it's about in the church. <laughs> Again, it's not our job to go into the world judging everybody and judging politicians and judging lifestyles. Accept, forgive, and give. Our job is to love everyone always, present the gospel to them, and then, yes, the Holy Spirit may come along and begin the work of regeneration, of, of cutting to the heart in them. You might get some pushback. They might think you're being judgmental. Just keep doing the things that we've been called to do, right? And those things are, I'll leave you with this. Remember, do good. Do good. Bless and pray. 
Here's a, here's a thought and a challenge. What do you think about us going out this week and being a bunch of do-gooders? That's often the way people categorize us, isn't it? Probably sometimes because they think we're being judgmental. So why don't we be really good do-gooders this week? Amen? Pray with me, would you?